1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman come from man, even so man also come through woman, but all things are from God. Good afternoon. If you'll keep your finger there, 1 Corinthians 11, turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, please. <clears throat> the title of tonight's lesson was, Why is this uh, study of women in the Bible that we're going to be doing this week, why is that study important? And uh, hopefully we got some of that answer. Uh, while we were uh, having our conversation this morning. Uh, but I want us to, to understand uh, a little bit more. We're going to talk here first in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to point out a, a little bit here. Hopefully we'll start uh, picking up on, uh, on the idea of this evening, this afternoon. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, this is what we... Uh, typically, we'll call the Hall of Faith, that's sort of the, uh, the name that we give this passage. And while, again, most of the names here are of men, there are women mentioned here. First, it says, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who was promised, who had promised. Uh, we find later over in verse 31, by faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. We're also told in verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And let's point out here as well, uh, Moses is, I think, the foundationally the man he is because his mother took on the responsibility of uh, raising him as the nurse for Pharaoh's daughter. And so we see that these three women in particular, I know it says parents, but uh, if you look back at the Exodus account, a lot of the effort seems to be by Jochebed with Moses. Uh, but that's not where the Hebrew writer stops, especially with name dropping. If you look over at uh, verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Hey, we talked about that this morning. It's apparently common enough for the Hebrew writer to mention it. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, tempted, put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Notice that your Bible might say the word men there. Um, and it's fair to translate that. Uh, another possible translation is people. 
of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains, caves and holes in the ground. And all these, all these, everybody mentioned, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Before we continue on into chapter 12, I just want you to take a second and think about that. These people, men and women alike, have gone through these trials and tribulations in their life. Some things have gone well. It says women receive back their dead by resurrection. Sometimes it goes well. Notice it doesn't say that it's only men who are experiencing the mockings, the scourgings, and the stonings. But look at 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I like pointing out here in verse 1, that word there, witness, so great a cloud of witnesses, we often think of the term witness as someone who is just watching. A witness is a watcher. And that has a, an English meaning. That's not what the word witness here means. Witness here is talking about someone who is witnessing in your trial. This cloud of witnesses that we've read about in Hebrews 11 they are sitting in judgment of you. And when we let things hold us back, especially things that really have no impact on our life, Sarah is witnessing against us. Rahab is witnessing against us. Jochebed is witnessing against us. And they'll say, why could you not follow our example? These witnesses that surround us, they're not just watching our life. They are helping to judge it. As we think about these women and what they mean for us in the Bible, I was, as I was studying for Ruth tomorrow, um, not, to, not to brush off any of the rest of the week, Ruth is actually the one that I'm really excited for. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that it's first. I'm also a little bit sad that it's not the last one. Um, Ruth is something, is one that I'm really excited for. Uh, just doing the, the research, I, I, I realized so many things I didn't know. And as I'm, I'm sitting here reading, I said, we've got an entire book dedicated to this woman. Why don't I know more about this? Why don't I have a better grasp on Ruth and about everything about her? I, I, I knew the basics, but why don't I have a better idea? Why didn't I know any of this beforehand? So many of these things that I realized as I was studying. And that's what got me into 
this lesson. Ruth is there for a reason. And I think sometimes it's a short book and we read through it and it's, I've got it. And then you actually dig. Uh, this is something that I, my wife and I will usually, uh, I call it a game, but uh, when we're doing long drives, I'll say, okay, it's time for our game. And what we do is we'll talk about something that we actually find either interesting or really challenging in the scriptures. And so she'll ask me, well, what do you think? I'll ask her, what do you think? And we'll talk, and she said, well, what about, what about you? What, what have you found interesting? And I said, there is so much about Israelite culture I thought I understood and did not. And Ruth has helped me understand that. We have to remember that the Holy Spirit put her there for a reason. We can read past her in the blink of an eye. And then the Holy Spirit's sitting there going, I put her there for a reason. Learn a little bit more. Take your time. And I wish I had taken my time before preparing for these lessons. I'm really excited for tomorrow night. Please come back for that. But if you haven't quite picked up on it yet, let's, let's try another couple of passages. If you'll turn back to the book of Acts, please. Keep, uh, and now you're going to need two fingers. One in 1 Corinthians 11, and now keep one in Hebrews 11. We'll come back to these passages. If you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 22. Paul is getting what I call the Jesus treatment from the Sanhedrin. He's been pulled in for assumptions being made. They assumed they saw him with a Greek earlier, an Ephesian. And they said, well, he probably took him to the temple, so he's defiling the temple. And that's the primary reason he's on a trial here later when the uh, the lawyers come up from Jerusalem when he's speaking to uh, Felix and Festus they will bend the truth a little bit more about that about what they're really bringing into task for but right now it's ah oh, we think you've defiled the temple and so he's asked to give this defense chapter uh, chapter twenty two verse one. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. When they heard he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. He said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel strictly, according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to death binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of elders can testify. From them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. And if you go back to Acts chapter 8, After Stephen is put to death at the end of chapter 7, this is what it says in chapter 8, verse 1. 
Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, that'd be Stephen, to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried... Excuse me, I, I turned too far. Hold on. <laughs> buried Stephen, made loud lamentation over him. Verse 3, But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women, he would put them in prison. And again, as he says himself, not just put them in prison, but call for their deaths. Are you getting the picture of why this study of women in the Bible is important? So we saw in Hebrews that they're people of faith, that they are witnessing, judging, against us when we don't live up to God's expectations, judging for us when we do, judging in favor. And now they are participating in persecution, just like the rest of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're getting closer to chapter 11. I'll let you get your finger out of the Bible here in just a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 1. Does anyone of you, when he has a case against his brother, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So they've been witnessing against us. They're judging. They're along for the ride when it comes to persecution. Is it then no surprise that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11... We see that we have an equality. 11. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Notice that. In the Lord, neither one of us are independent of the other. This is something that I think we might forget or not put as much thought into. When we see these great people of faith, whether we're reading them from Hebrews chapter 11, or whether we're reading about them in the Scriptures where they can be found, I think sometimes we forget who all is involved. Whenever we see the conquest of Canaan and we think there's Joshua going out and leading the people and we study the conquest and all the Canaanites that have been destroyed. How many women didn't get their husbands or their sons back? 
Women pay the price. The sad thing is, usually women are the ones who have to live with it. Have we forgotten? They're not just along for the ride. They're living this with us. And I think so often because so many of these characters are men, and when we speak, we sort of speak in generalities, and so the, the, the men of the congregation, we're sort of thinking about it from our perspective, and sometimes we forget. Women are as much a part of this life as men. And sometimes they bear a much stronger burden, a much heavier burden. Second Timothy chapter 2, in verse 10. Then after this, you can turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. For this reason being to support and spread the Word of God, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure with Him, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Notice there it doesn't say, if if us men died with him, us men will also live with him. If us men endure, then us men will also reign. That's not what it says. It says we. We will reign. We must endure. When you read through the various church accounts in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there God is speaking to the seven churches of Asia. Not one time does He say anything gender-specific. He might say things like, I know the faithful that are in this church. He calls out individual people. Don't let this person influence you. Don't let this person draw you away from the truth that you know. When he speaks to churches, when Paul speaks to all these various churches in his epistles, he does not often delineate between the difference of what men and women ought to be doing. It's very rare. We are in the same boat. And sometimes I think the men are on the left and the women are on the right of the boat and the men have the oars and we forget that both sides of the boat need to be rowed and we don't know why we're going in circles. And I understand what we're trying to, to do when these situations arise. We're trying to think about things from a biblical perspective. But then we take it a step too far. 
men are relatively good at having a, a uh, take-to-it kind of attitude. And sometimes when you do that, I, I am one who I, I actually like a little bit of spontaneity. I'll do a little bit of planning, but I also like some spontaneity. And guess what? None of it works well unless I have Jill's planning brain to go along with it. Because then she'll say, hold on a second. We call it black hatting. She'll say, okay, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? Oh yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. But it's so much more important on a spiritual level. That might be trying to go to the Metroplex between Dallas and Fort Worth. That's not how we can be in our spiritual lives. There's no room for spontaneity in our spiritual lives. And sometimes, women are so much better at measuring their thoughts, their words, and their actions than men. Sometimes we're so ready to take the fight. And sometimes it takes a hand to say, hold on. Or perhaps we as men don't necessarily recognize the pitfall of what we might be thinking or teaching. And then to have that voice, are you sure that's the best thing to do? Or how about their own fighting spirit? I didn't even think to fight about that. I didn't even think to challenge that or to, to think about it in that way. But God has promised that Women are going to judge just as much as we are. To judge, to reign, to suffer. To lose. To win. since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Usually when I read that, I, I put it in the context of Hebrews 11, all the people mentioned there in, in Hebrews 11 and implied by Hebrews 11. And I, I don't think that's an incorrect interpretation. I think that's the most uh, appropriate interpretation of this passage. However, I think sometimes we have to remember that we can have a cloud of witnesses that are in our very presence. Sometimes we forget that the people that are in our lives directly are just as much witnesses. That sometimes when we don't realize what we've done, then that we have our wife there or significant woman in our life telling us maybe we didn't think that one through very well. Or it's going to affect people in ways we couldn't have possibly imagined. Taking that action, thinking that thought, teaching that idea. When we start remembering that we are in this together, things become a lot easier. 
I dare say there's not a point in the Bible that will tell you, don't listen to your wife. Not a single point. Yes, as we mentioned in our uh, lesson this morning during our service, that yes, there are passages that might appear to say things like that. We are together. And in the Lord, we're equal. And we must learn. And sometimes we hear, I don't allow a woman to teach or, or exercise authority over a man. And we say, well, we can't be taught by women. That's not how this works. Is that really what Paul is saying? I can't be taught? Heaven forbid a woman teaches me anything? I love my father. He's a great man. Great preacher. He's been preaching for... I think I was trying to do the math the other day. Almost 45 years, maybe a little bit over 45 years. Preaching a long time. He's taught me a lot. I'm pretty sure my mother has taught me more. Doesn't count that I was homeschooled. Not even counting that. I think my mother has taught me more. And so much of what my mother has taught me has been by example. When you look back here at Hebrews chapter 11, notice here that the women that are mentioned, they're not considered people of faith because of what they said, because they were teachers, because they were out there fighting the fight, taking up their sword. Yes, Jael belongs in this list. Yes, Deborah belongs in this list. But do you see who's mentioned? Why is Sarah in here? Her ability to conceive. Okay. Jochebed, hiding Moses and not killing him by the king's edict. Rahab, simply becoming one of the Israelites, really. Right? Keeping the spies. That's what she's in here for. Women receiving back their dead by resurrection. The greatest lessons often that we find, not just in our life, but even what we read in the Bible are examples given to us by women. So much of who I have tried to be in my life is because I saw my mother do that. I saw my mother be that way. I was talking to my mom once and I said, Mom, I gotta say, one thing you seem really good at is not holding a grudge. And let me tell you, if anyone has filled out more bad church bingo cards 
It's my dad. He has been in some doozies of, con of congregations. And I point that out. He's experienced this, but there's my mom. Right there alongside him. Never heard my mom speak ill. She's one of the first people that if somebody starts saying something negative about one of the churches that my dad's been a part of, she is always the first person to say, but there were great people there. There were great times we had there. We're still friends with some of those people from that congregation. She's the first one. And I said, Mom, it, it's crazy how you never seem to hold a grudge. She said, why waste my time with something that'll kill me eventually? She's the one who's always smiling, rarely says a negative word about people. Why wouldn't I want to emulate that? I've had my own share of filling out that bingo card. And I've talked about that with my dad. Thankfully, most of the conversations with my dad that I've had as a preacher are about spiritual ideas and about scriptures. Sometimes you have to vent. And my mom happened to be in the other room when I was having a venting session with my father. And I'm in tears. I was so frustrated. And dads, I understand. I've been there. I've dealt with that. It's very frustrating. But that's all he got out. And my mom comes screaming in from the other room and appears in the Zoom call and goes, you better thank Jill because she's feeling this just as much, if not more than you. And then I remembered, I'm married. I try not to forget that too much. I'm married. These things that are affecting me, they're affecting her. One of the churches that I uh, was preaching for, for a year and a half, a year and a half, my employment was tabled until the next business meeting every month. 18 months. I sat and waited. I ended up leaving on my own accord, uh, ironically enough. But I sat there and I'd hear those words, we'll table that for next month. You'll, you still have a job. And every time I'd go back into the auditorium, it was a Sunday afternoon right before we're getting into evening services. Thank you for tabling my job so I can preach for you one more Sunday. Every time, Jill would say, do you have your job still? Or now. And that had such a negatively profound impact on my wife, and I wasn't paying attention. I was just so caught up in how frustrated I was, I wasn't paying attention. I was forgetting that 
She's there too. I'm the one frustrated. Can you imagine when it's not even about you? How frustrating that must be. She can't do anything. She just has to sit and watch. And that can be such a heavy burden. Let us remember then as our final idea of the evening. Sometimes, because we have so much to think about, sometimes we're trying to be Adam tending the garden before Eve was created. I don't know if he had to, I'm assuming. He had to do some tending of the garden before God made Eve, but maybe not. Sometimes I think that's what we try to do. We try to tend the garden, and we forget that God gave us companions to tend the garden with us. And the crazy thing is, they don't have to be our spouses. They can be our sisters in Christ. But they're there to tend the garden with us. And when we neglect to listen to them and their perspective, don't be surprised when the crop doesn't pay. Because that's like tilling the ground and then not watering it. Are you going to get anything? God might give you a little rain every once in a while, but you still got to irrigate your land. We have to remember, again, as I pointed out at the beginning, Ruth is there in the Bible for a reason. There's an entire book dedicated to her for a reason. Let's not forget why that exists. Let's not forget that there are women who are having to put forth so much effort in this life. And not just the things that we mentioned earlier this morning. Those very important things that we mentioned. But they are there to be with us in faith. To be there ultimately in triumph with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're the church. They're the body. They are the faithful. Just as us men. This afternoon, if, if you need help remembering that, I'm sure this is a church that will help you. And I'll give you my number, I guess. I'll help you too. If you're not part of this body, then let's do something about that. Let's become one with the men and women of faith that are here at Westside. And let's remember that we're all in this boat. Let's row together. Please take advantage of this opportunity as you stand and as we sing.